but you've been doing all those X spaces. How's that going? Uh, good. I think, I think, oh, actually really good. So, um, I started off, the number was kind of low, maybe seven people joined in. The second one had something like 15 to 20 people listening. And the last one was over 40 people engaged. So it seems like the more I do them, the better they're going to get as far as having an audience. So I'm going to keep it up that, you know, you, you've heard my plan, right? Um, I think so. No, I, I don't did. know. Oh, okay. Well, Maybe I get to I tell you, uh, I'm going to start doing a daily one. Oh, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to go full out on not just, uh, spaces, but full out on social media streaming live streaming there's a difference between recording your show doing it and then live streaming it out to everybody else kind of has a tv feel to it feels okay. like yeah you're watching a tv show it's a whole nother thing to do a show where you <laughs> do it live in front of people and there's no there's no hey let's record that again it's just and you get to yeah. dialogue and engage with people that are there okay. talking back to them they talk to you and so my idea is to crowdsource a show uh, I want to crowdsource the show. And so I'm going to okay. do a daily spaces live stream thing. And so I came up with a theme for, oh, I should get the, you haven't, you haven't heard this, have you? No. Oh, okay. Hold on. I got to do the thing. I got to, all right. I'm going to let you, I guess there's a lot of people who haven't heard this. I just thought about this. You're okay. Hold on one second. I got it. I got all a right. thing. I got a thing. I'm going to go grab the thing for, for to tell you about the other thing. Hold on. Wait, all right. So, I assume just because we were friends, you know, you were dialing into all the spaces and hearing everything I had to say, but I was not wrong. quite everything. I dialed into, <laughs> I dialed into three, and then you laid and you got out of one really quick. And I was like, Oh, Jason, I, I want know it's because my phone rang. I oh. came in, and then somebody called, and I was like, oh, I gotta go back to back to work. <laughs> what a new world we live in okay so here's the deal i'm gonna try and get this over quickly because it's not what i wanted to talk about but um and i have so much i want to talk to you about i want to talk about communion a little bit i think um oh good but um yeah yeah that's good especially okay. if we're trying to talk about images of the good because yes and the, I, the veils you know the veils and stuff so Okay, but uh, you got you got so so let's we'll get to that. Okay, uh, let me see if uh, this is working. If this is blah 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 okay. blah blah blah, you can hear that, right? Yeah. Okay, so um, I'm gonna do a weekly spaces. I think we're gonna call it Knox Unleashed, unless you have a better okay, unless you have a better title for it. But uh, yeah. your buddy at your church decided to name it for me. But here's the deal. <laughs> so Monday, I, I think that. Um, I'm going to try and do more of a talk radio style, more of a radio engagement and interaction. So uh, old school talk radio was theater of the mind. I want to go back to that. I don't like the, the new stuff. So Mondays are going to be called um, Marvelous Mondays. And the concept of Mondays is, is the undoing of wickedness, the undoing okay. of, of pagans, which is... Uh, it's kind of post-millennial when you think about it, but the whole idea is to take the things that people um, think is going to be our demise and to talk about how it is that God's going to use it to make the demise of the okay. wicked, right? So the undoing of wickedness is basically the concept. And so the, the, I have a theme music for that, which is this. <laughs> I was like, I knew you would get that, right? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. 
and they just call it Marvelous Day Mondays. Lovely day. Yeah. Lovely day. It's like that's that's so marvelous day Monday, and I figure like if on Mondays people ain't really so happy anyway. I want to get them happy about what God is yeah. doing in the world, and that they can. So this Monday, I, I plan on talking about an an, ar- for, an argument forty years in the making. Um, and it's the idea and concept is Doug made an argument to Rod Dreher to come out to Moscow and see. So there was a huge deal over Andrew Isaker's new book. Um, Rod Dreher wrote against his book on Christian nationalism, but he really wrote against Doug Wilson. <laughs> oh, really? It was bad. It was really bad. And um, he hit Doug all within talking about Isker's book. And then he asked the question, should all the world basically be Moscow? And Doug's like, what's so bad with Moscow? Like we got 4,000 people. Yeah, there's 4,000 yeah. people in the street dancing and singing and loving Jesus and having great culture. You should come out here and see it. And my point well, is that Doug... Has Rod Drew never been out to Moscow? No, and I've actually had beers with Rod Drew and did a show with him. But yeah, um, I, I read his book "Live Not by Lies." It was it's fantastic. a great book. I like Rod. I really like Rod a lot. So I mm-hmm. hope he takes well in his offer. But my point is to say, this Monday anyway, is that Doug can't make that argument unless he was doing something for the last forty years. Right. So I want to talk about argument forty art an argument forty years in the making, and I really want to dig into Christian faithfulness. Right. There's some arguments that we can't make yet, but there's some that we can because we've been faithful for. I've been married almost 20 years now. That's an argument in the making. Right. Anyway, so that's Marvelous Mondays. I just want to talk about the the undoing of the weekend. Okay, so T3 is for Tuesdays and T3 is Tech Theonomy Tuesdays. You know, I had to have Theonomy in there. (laughs) And the theme I have for that is this. You know what that is, don't you? I think so. Is that is that Iron Man? No, no, Terminator. Oh, Terminator. Okay, okay. It just makes sense because everybody th- thinks that the totally. world is going to... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, so you get... I thought it was Iron Man 2, but you're, you're it's Terminator. Totally. Yeah, I can see how... Yeah, I can see that. Iron Man 2 does kind of have that big... But yeah, so anyways, the, yeah. I think Terminator is perfect because people think yeah. AI is going to take over and right. all that... And so um, that's that. And then, and then Wednesdays, I, I've got, I love this track from Timbaland. And, it, and Wednesday's going to be uh, Work Wednesdays. I mean, it's 2005 again. <sighs> I wish. Oh, that I track. wish. So nasty. <laughs> Um, so work Wednesdays because everybody has work misplaced. I think people think work is um, about paying bills off more than it is something about being made in the image of God, right? Like you work because yeah, God yeah. worked. Um, and so when we take joy in being like God, we take joy in working, which means we look forward to to completing things. We look forward to finding new things. There's a discovery there for us, right? Um, and I think we just re- re- completely need to reorientate work. And so work Wednesdays is... Yeah, That's the I've been working on, I sent you off the basic outline for the theology of the family class. Oh, can we talk about that? I was wondering if we can talk about yeah, that yeah. yet. But, but the one on work, um, I've been that's, I've been working on that one. And it, it's uh, calling it um, dra- uh, oh, dragon slaying and treasure hunting. <gasps> that's what our work is. So I'm still in that. 
<laughs> Dude, that's the whole idea. This is, there's two aspects really that are set up right out of Genesis of what the, our work is going to be the rest of our lives. And, but it's veiled sometimes and we forget that's what it is. And, but that's actually the nature of whatever the work God gives us. I'm so still in it. Okay. Hey, how about you come on? Not this week. Cause it would be in G3. But next week, when we start talking about work, okay. how about we come on? You come on Wednesday and just lay out. Yeah, I love it. Work. Let's do it. That is going to be awesome. All right, so that's going to be really nice to Tim. So Thursdays is um, in Thread Inception Thursdays, and I have to use my boy KB on that because you know how it is. Like <laughs> when you when you go to your threads. So my whole point with Thread Thursdays is like to go open up my cell phone and go through my threads and just give short commentary on each thread and then i want everybody else to open up their cell phones and go through the twitter threads or facebook threads yeah. or whatever but every time you open up your thread you'd be like mm -mm, not today satan like there's always something in there like it's a transgendered kid who's so happy about cutting off their breasts or it's a guy who's sitting there with a thong did, on. You, did you see the uh lawsuit that just got filed no from the the young girl who um she said she went in and within one meeting, she had been within one meeting with the doctor. She had been uh, diagnosed with gender dysphoria and set up for um, the set up for a transition surgery within. And then they and it and it went so fast that now she's suing for malpractice because she thinks that they it was forced on her. I, I don't know whether to throw that that commentary in Marvelous Mondays or Thread Thursdays because everything I don't think well I think we need to as Christians need to see that wickedness just does not have yep. a success path inside of God's right. world it just doesn't yeah, it is always a leech that kills the host right, right. yes so, yeah. Yep. Oh, there's so much time about there. Okay, I did not hear about that. Though. I'm gonna have to go I, check I it just, out. I just saw it uh, this morning. So, and like, I don't even read the news. So, if I saw it, if you saw, it, you should have. Yeah, yeah. I, Knox, I you mean, my, seen it. <laughs> my my thread is curated so so that it's almost all bass players and uh, rappers. <laughs> that's because you actually have a life, unlike know, the most people in the world. That's all I really want to see. <laughs> Open it up so I can see bass players and rappers. So Fridays, I think, should be about family. So it's Family Fridays. And I couldn't think of any other better music than this. <laughs> That's good. That's really good. <laughs> yeah, so Family Fridays are all going to be like... Great. There isn't... because. I... Go ahead. Well, yeah, I was. I, I thought it was going to be the Incredibles. That that would be the family music. Oh, that's that'd another. Be, that would be the other option. But this okay. is really good. I mean, I just felt like you know, yeah, yeah. Especially when you're talking about like, um, you know, the the an argument forty years of the making, like you don't build up the mob unless you <laughs> multi generationally. You don't build up the family. Well, and I was thinking there's nothing more subversive to any other institution in c creation right now than the family, yeah. right? 
and there's a huge fight for it. And we, and I think that we undervalue the family, but the family is always the immune system of the culture, right? It really is the thing that kicks in and says, yeah, we're not doing this. It doesn't ever come from the top down. It always comes from the bottom up. And it just takes a couple of faithful families who fear the Lord to raise their kids. And their kids are like, they're walking faithful and God keeps giving them authority as they stay faithful. Right. And so right. as they take responsibility, that's something else. I think a family probably want to really stress is like, take responsibility. Really? Like, seriously, don't just say, Oh, you know, don't just say the words actually find where to go do the work at. Right. If it's in your house, if it's this thing that you see that you don't like in your house, Say, I'm going to fix it and then go be the person who fix it, not the person who just delegates it, but the person who actually goes and yep. fixes it. And I think as we begin to take responsibility there, we'll find a lot more authority. And we have a huge problem with women right now because they are jumping into places of authority. But it's because men are taking responsibility and everybody's looking at women and talking about how women are. The, I've, I've been watching a lot of um, pearly things stuff, and she's been really ragging on bad women and rightfully so i think she's right to be doing some of this but the problem isn't that we have bad women it's that we have bad men right that's the that's the problem like if we had faithful men we would have a different type of woman and so i think family fridays are just a huge dose of take responsibility right just yeah. find the find the places where responsibility nobody has it or is owning it and if it's within your sphere in your house, you need to take responsibility of that area, you know? Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, I think that learning about jurisdictions mm. is, it, it's, it's a weird medicine that, that when, but when you start to learn jurisdictions, all of a sudden you start to be able to say, oh, well, yep. I've got my, I've got my plot of land. I've got my my these are the relationships i'm responsible for these are the ones i'm not and um mm. and it the because right now there's a lot of i i would call it the tyrant you gave me lord um are arguments for why things are going wrong <laughs> but then you look when you look at people's actually their own jurisdiction everything's disordered everything's out of order you don't mm. have a well-ordered personal jurisdiction but you're pointing fingers at the um at the uh, uh at other people's jurisdictions and 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 that you might be a part of and saying well look how disordered that person is and how terrible they are and i can't possibly put my own life in order when that person is the governor of my state or that person is the is the president or you've got this this person doing this on the supreme court you think well but you can god builds a sort of world where you can and sometimes um you know the you, we we have a a elderly neighbor who's in um who's had to be moved into an old folks home and yeah so the ones you guys cutting the grass yeah. for is that him yeah yeah well and one of the reasons i mean every, everybody just sort of trades off if when you're out mowing if his lawn isn't mowed you know i've taught my boys to just look look up look across the street he's our neighbor and he's not able to if the lawn isn't mowed and and you're you got the mower in your hands you walk over and you mow it doesn't take long but the other reason to do it is 
because if we don't take care of his dandelions, they end up in everybody's yard. Right. So, um, because, but he's, he's not there to do it. So, uh, we, but if you don't take care of the dandelions in your yard, it does actually blow into your neighbor's yard. So, yep. um, there's, and you can, the best thing to do though, is to have healthy soil. If your healthy soil doesn't grow dandelions, um, as, as well as it grows grass. Right. So if your mm. soil, if your soil is unhealthy, um, then you'll take in all of the dandelions from the neighbor's yard. But if your soil is good and healthy, you won't, you'll, you'll still have some to deal with, but not the way I, I learned this just, um, last year. My, I'm, I, I do not have a green thumb. Like I'm really bad at this stuff. And so I, a, a friend of mine who grows this beautiful, glorious grass, I was like, explain to me how you do this. And he was like, well, it's a three-step process. I have to do this and that and this. Oof. And then once the soil is healthy, it doesn't grow weeds anymore. And I was like, oh, there's the problem. I don't, yep. I'm not going to do that three-step process. <laughs> but I could take in, I'm going to take in the uh, obvious allegorical nature about my own heart and life and family, uh, about the healthy soil that grows fewer weeds. It's rather than thinking in terms of just wandering around and plucking weeds all the time, we actually need to work on growing the soil health of our families in our kids, especially because one of the things I think that we don't realize is that our kids are made of dirt. And so they are a little garden that we have been given jurisdiction to, to raise and plant in and, and, take care of and weed and all of that um and so but but we usually live reactionary with our kids mm. and we see a weed and we get upset or we get embarrassed and so we think we got to get rid of that that weed but we don't think in terms of how do we have a healthy garden you know how do we grow a healthy um how do we have healthy soil you know, are, are we fertilizing are we you know making sure there's enough water you know we just worry about the weeds uh and not the not the actual fruit and so then as soon as they get out of the house there's no one weeding things go mm. sideways you know it tells on what we've actually been doing yeah right yeah it really does you know my um another argument in the making right i you know we i i can't remember if we've talked about this i'm sure we have but one of the things that um, my wife and I saw early on when we just started having kids and looked around is there were, there were kids that couldn't wait to get out of their home because their home was oppressive. Mm -hmm. Their home, there was, they, their, their home was a place where they were in trouble a lot. There's not a place that they enjoyed being. It was, and there were kids that couldn't wait to get out of the home or then there were kids that wanted to stay in their home because they uh, were afraid of the world. Mm. Right. Um, but then there was other kids that we would see that they couldn't wait to get out of the home because their homes were so much fun. They couldn't wait to go establish their own. Right. And that's when we, and we, we early on said, that's what we're aiming at kids that can't wait to get out and be dangerous to the world. Like they can't wait to get out to establish their own home because it's so much fun to raise kids. Like that's the attitude we wanted to be portraying to them. We are really enjoying 
raising you guys. It's a blast to have a home and to raise kids. And, um, and so that they, and that's the, the, and that's a, it's, that's an attitude you have to work on. <laughs> you have to develop, you have to talk yourself into sometimes because it's also the hardest thing ever. And it's emotionally taxing and exhausting and, uh, and little kids can be like meanies sometimes. And, you know, there's all, all that stuff, but um, we knew that we actually, we were what we, we wanted to be, you know, dragon hunters, raising dragon hunters. Um, and so, that that's a uh, you can't you can't do that without a song on your lips right you, the, you're you're gonna lose what if you come up against a dragon you're gonna lose unless you're singing while you fight and so um we just we had to really um make sure we were always te- that's the story that our kids knew they were in um so it, it's a different way of thinking um because I think most parents think their job is to keep their kids from sinning, but that, but, but we're not moralists, right? That's not our, it's like actually not our job. Um, the, the, that's not the primary function of parents or not even, I might not even be a secondary function of parents, right? Um, the, 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 uh, we deal with sin by repentance. We humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord and he lifts us up. That's, that's how we deal with sin not there's not a we don't set up the rules and the boundaries and think that's going to end up dealing with the sin the sin has to be dealt with at the cross before the lord Um, and so then it's a matter of helping them see reality what story are you really in what veil um is is making it hard to see reality right now and helping them peek beyond it um with their imagination Uh, it's a different way it's really just a, I think a different, I mean, I, I think it's the difference between Phariseeism and Christianity, but mm. um, I don't, that's not, I, I'm not saying that every, um, that, that Phariseeism is the, uh, that there'd be a condemning way to hear that. I don't mean it in a condemning way. It should be a freeing thing to say like, Oh, I don't, that that's right. Jesus dealt with the sin. Right. That's not the, the parenting is helping them take the sin to you help them take the sin to Jesus when they when it comes out and you you teach them that sort of thing. But the uh, the actual job is you um, is to is raise household builders mm-hmm. um, and raise world world dominators. I think domination is probably not a good word anymore. I like it. I think it's the word to use. You want Somebody's them- dominating, though. They can't yeah, right, yeah. That. You you want your kids thinking, okay, you know what? I got to get out there. There's I got dominating to do, um, and that you know, is a blessing just- when you understand your jurisdiction because you're not going to go out and dominate your neighbor. You're going to go out and you know dominate the thing that God gave you. Um, that's why Work Wednesday, I think, is so important because that's one of the things that I was talking about. One of the guys, Brian Moots, came in from Theopolis and talked about the fact that I think it was James Jordan that said, there's no donut trees in the garden. Oh, well, that's a great quote. I don't know where it, I don't know what it means. Yeah, oh, it's you, phenomenal. Oh, oh, because you have to like a donut is something you have to make. A donut is something you have to make. Oh, that's Isn't really that good. awesome. 
Like there's there's no donut trees in the garden, so you need to have fire and knife in order to be able to make donuts. And fire and knife are so those are things that you get when you mature, right? Your right. kids don't get knives. Kids don't get fire, right? So when you come into the garden, everything's there, and maturity comes as you. And so knife and fire are forms of wisdom, right? And so um, you need to gain information and knowledge from what you have in front of you and mature to be able to handle a knife, which is for killing. Right. And so you got to know what, how, when, who, right. That's what, right. and then fire. And it's so funny when he, when I was thinking through this and listening to, to, I think started, I went back and listened to, it's called, the book is called bread and wine. I have it here. Yes, I do. I, this book from James Jordan, bread and wine. And so um, oh, from bread, from bread to wine, no, from bread to wine. Thank you. From okay. bread to wine. And I, I haven't read it yet, but I was just listening to a few of the talks on Theopolis, and it was so good because it's something that's getting that gets forgotten is that part of this goes to your point about dominion. Dominion takes wisdom. It takes uh, you need to be discipled and you need to be taught to handle dangerous things. And God has put dangerous things in the world that you get to have and that you get to manage and learn. And it's those dangerous things are to help you be more like God. Right. Yeah. Um, God handles the whole sun. <laughs> right. Like, right. like, like, wow. Like I can go out. I'm leaving my office some afternoons. It gets so hot from the sun that the little walkway in my building, when I touch the door handle, it burns me. Right. And, and I'm like, Ooh, and it didn't get that because of something that was close, but something that was super far away. Right. And the power of that, so far away to be able to affect me just by the things that it, it it puts its radiance on is amazing. And so it just made me think about like, okay, Lord, how do I learn this type? How do I learn this type of wisdom? Right. Yeah. <laughs> to have an effect on something that I'm far, 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 far away from and yet have a massive imprint. That thing leaves scars on my arm. Right. right. You know, but there's all sorts of wisdom there. And and so that's why work yeah. Wednesdays is part of that. Yeah, because the reality is I couldn't even be trusted with a flamethrower. You know what I'm saying? None of us hardly yeah. could. None of us hardly could. But because I'd start playing within seconds. Yeah. But see, so it <laughs> made me think. What'd you say? It's a toy. It is. Look, know, right? look how far I can shoot them. The next thing you know, my neighbor's house will be on fire. What else does it do? What else does it do? <laughs> but, but it made me think about, and then he goes on, I think in the video that I saw in the Apples, he goes on to talk about wine um, is even more mature than bread. So bread is something you can get in a day. Wine is something that takes a long time to be able to develop and it takes patience and it takes, you know, planting and all these things. And all this that comes out of wine isn't something that you get in a short amount of time. So it takes a lot of wisdom and patience to be able to create wine. And that's a mature person's thing is wine. Um, it was just like, oh man, that's, you know, but, but you have that imagery and then you have this imagery in the New Testament with Christ, who says, this is my body, right? And then here's my blood. Yeah. And so these things aren't separated. Like there's a form of, there's something in these sacraments that I don't know if we really get. Um, 
and, and I think one of the things that he was saying in this was, and I have to go back and listen to the whole thing. I'm probably going to butcher it, so don't judge me too harshly on this. And people get really funky when you start talking about sacraments, like they actually know what they are, but they don't. <laughs> but they get real funky when they start talking about this. But one of the things that he was saying was that you have a transfer of the old covenant to the new covenant from bread to wine, right? That's part of what he's making the argument of. Is like old covenant was bread, um, and then Christ comes in, and the new covenant is wine, but those two are actually together. So you have old and then new, and then you see you see those shared. Oh, and he says one thing in here that I thought was really cool was that the bread, as you are breaking the bread and being passed around, in the breaking of the bread and everybody eating of it, you become one group, one loaf in that bread, right? So the bread is making you one body, one loaf, so that you can partake of the new covenant together, right? And when you partake of it, you already are one, in the partaking of the new. So you have the old covenant, which is making everything, um, or, or should I say, old covenant represented in the bread, uniting everybody as one, and then the new covenant represented in the wine um, and partaking, a one group partaking of mature things, which is Christ, right? So, and, and, and the maturity of the covenant coming to fruition in wine. So the, the new yeah. covenant is fully realized. It is fully matured. It is, uh, a grown, it's it's adult stuff, grown folk stuff in the yeah. wine, right? Which is the bread was a different sort of thing. You got that and it was good, but now you have something more better, wine, right? Yeah. And those two aren't separate, but together. Anyway, go ahead. Well, and there's a, a couple of things. One, that comes from the, you've got the sacramental system, and I know some people are uncomfortable calling the old covenant sacrifices a sacramental system, but I think we should. Um, Why would they that, be uncomfortable with that? Uh, because they're sacrifices, I think. Uh, and the, it makes them the, I, I think it's because our to most of our Protestant sacramental system comes. It be, is actually an attempt to not be Roman Catholic rather than an attempt to be biblical. <laughs> mm, okay. So I think that's, that's why. Um, but the, in, in the uh, sacrifices, it ends the, the sacrificial um, story or the, the, the sacrificial uh, uh, actions ends with the peace offering where you bring bread and wine, but in the old covenant, you break the bread in the three pieces priest takes some the some gets put on the altar and is burned up so that god quote unquote eats it in the fire mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then uh or or in the smoke dependent yeah probably in the smoke would be a technical way to put it and then we and then we would eat the third part well um and but then you dump the wine out right You're not allowed to right. drink the wine yeah and so um when jesus then goes through the peace offering ritual with his disciples and then they drink the wine right that's that is a and whether they got it or not it is a symbolic um it's a, a symbolic allegorical typological all of the words it's a shift and a change um in that shows the difference in the the nature of the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant but they still eat the bread 
right? And so I think this is where the the radical, um, the 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 radical um, new covenant is different from the old covenant in nature. That um, that radical change, I don't think, can be held up by the differences, right? By 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 the way Jesus puts it on display here, right? Because you actually the whole old covenant is taken up into the new covenant. You don't have a radical differentiation the way um, I think a lot of American theologians want to make a radical differentiation, but really what they're doing is they're trying to make the new covenant, a Gnostic covenant and the old covenant, a physical covenant. All right. So but, the, uh, uh, explain how, explain the difference between what does a Gnostic covenant look like over against a physical covenant? Because so, it's hard. To, uh, it's hard. Uh, oh, 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 so much here, Jason. There's so much here. There's so much here because I, I think I think you just hit on why we have a problem with in the new covenant physical reigning of Christ. Because if you see this covenant as a spiritual one, primarily over everything, instead of uh, the same in some tangible realities of the, the same one that the old covenant had, then you're going to err on the side of everything's spiritual and that's kind of where your mm-hmm. two kingdom world comes in yep. is because of how you see this covenant right so then how is the old testament one tangible and the new testament one um oh we were not planning on talking about this no oh, have mercy yeah. um but, and, but it, and the if new you testament remember, one is gnostic yeah if you remember what the what gnosticism uh, gnosticism says our problem is that we're in physical bodies right that um, that we're that traps us in history, um, and the the mind is the pathway out of mm. history and the physical body, right? And so mm. uh, that means that our salvation has to do with our mind reaching beyond the physical. Oh my goodness! Right. So uh, a gnostic. Oh, I'm getting gnostic, it. It hurts. Gnostic, yeah, right. So a Gnostic version of the covenant would be some sort of like through my mind of knowledge, I have direct, I have a direct relationship with God and that, um, and the, so the promises are mine directly, right? There's, there's nothing by through my mind or through my memory or through, you know, knowledge somehow versus uh, a covenant with uh, uh, the, covenant of the old testament and and everybody agrees that the covenant of the old testament is not that way so that's not ever I, i've never mm. had anybody say that uh, otherwise so the old covenant is historical and physical right so you've got the um phys- physical mediation so to speak um uh, of the covenant meaning meaning the marks of the covenant so you've got the promises of god and then the promises of God are attached to us right, through okay are, are, are given to us right in in sacrifices set this is why I would want to call still call them sacraments because they're still giving the promises now some some of the promises are veiled because the historical antecedent of the promise hasn't arrived yet right which is Jesus Christ's death on the cross and resurrection well you could say the same thing about the old covenant too though. Well, that, that's what I mean. Is the yeah. so in in the old covenant, they're looking forward to Christ, and so there's a there's a veiling, um, 
I mean, this this is why you sorry, get I'm some think, of the... I'm thinking ahead of you. I'm sorry, yeah. my bad. Yeah, okay. I, I see. That's I totally you... see it. Keep going. This is why you run into every once in a while. You run into theologians because everybody wonders what did God say to Abraham that made him laugh, right? When God God, so it says God, you know, lays out his plans and and Abraham laughs, and so people say, was Abraham? Did he tell them about Jesus, <laughs> right? About the the way he was going to do it, right? Co- the, cosmic the, the comedy, death, the, yeah. The, that it's this cosmic that there's this cosmic comedy that God and the devil is God's straight man. Like remember the serpent in the garden, um, he's going to come along and he's going to destroy himself by crucifying my my son, Mar- who's going to be marvelous son, Mondays, right? marvelous yeah, Mondays, exactly. So, <laughs> and um, now I don't know if that's true or not, but I I get why you've got theologians every once in a while that are attracted to that idea um, uh, that God God basically whispers to Abraham in advance. Here's what I mean when I give you these promises about seed and, and about a king that's coming and a land. Um, He's breaking that, down the poetry for him. Yeah, yeah I see. Yeah. yeah. Um, the the and but but whether it is or not the response to the promises that abraham gives is this is the joyful laughter right is this celebratory the celebratory laughter um, <laughs> god you tell the best uh, jokes right yeah and uh th- that but but the and and in the old covenant that is the the those promises are all the yet to be fulfilled um promises which i guess it's this is what makes paul says this is what makes it possible to have hope is that the promises haven't all been fulfilled Mm. um and so that faith that is married to hope in the in the old covenant is the is what it is well what we've what a certain you know american theologians try to do is they make a radical break but they make the break along gnostic lines Right. So the old covenant is physical. The old covenant is generational. The old covenant involves um, body parts and making of new children and things. Well, the new covenant is doesn't have this physical bodily aspect and it doesn't affect history in the way the old covenant was. Where in the old covenant, they were given promises about a land. In the new covenant, we're given promises about heaven. Right. We're, we're not given promises about history. Um, and that's uh, but that that's because we we reinterpret allegory. We 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 how I would say it is we put the allegory in the wrong place because the allegory is unavoidable. Um, but we put the allegory in the wrong place. And so that's why like, I've heard people say, you know, you have to be saved by water and um, by water in the word. And water doesn't mean water. Water is another word for word because sometimes the word is compared to water in the Psalms. And so here it's, you're saved by the word and word, but it's so not when water doesn't come into it. I mean, and these are folks that do baptisms. So I'm like, I don't understand. Even a Baptist shouldn't be uncomfortable with water being water. Uh, That's super Gnostic though. That's super Gnostic. Super Gnostics, right? So, um, and those sorts of arguments, I think they reveal what you can't see once you've got Gnostic assumptions, right? Mm. Once you put the Gnostic glasses on, you can't see 
certain things, even when you're literally right there in the text, you have to explain the way it can't say that because that would challenge my assumptions. Um, so, if, uh, or water in the spirit, I'm sorry. When you've got water in the, when he, when he says water in the spirit, I've seen people explain away the water as well, that really, what that really means is knowledge, right? Water doesn't mean water. It means knowledge. Water means you know, the word getting inside you because sometimes, and I do think that water is used as a metaphor for the word. So that, that doesn't bother me, but we all use water for baptisms on a regular basis. All of the time, any church with any health at all is doing baptisms at a, on a regular clip. Um, so I don't understand how, uh, well, so in order to understand how we can make that sort of jump leap, um, you have to understand that it's a cosmology issue that you've already assumed a Gnostic cosmology. That the new covenant is a Gnostic thing, that the new covenant ushered in a Gnostic cosmology. Then you can, then when you read a passage like that, you can say, well, we, since we know he doesn't mean water, what could he possibly mean? <laughs> like, well, why couldn't he mean water? I think he means water in the spirit when he says water in the spirit. So, and then that affects our, our political philosophy. Um, it affects our, uh, our, our, you know, theo theology of the magistrate and, you know, everything. Okay. Pause. Uh, you got too much on the table for me. I got to pick some of this off. <laughs> I do that. No, no, it's good. It's good because a lot of it's spinning. But I guess the first thing I want to say is, then why do we like the Reformers so much? Because the Reformers' theology wasn't Gnostic. No, it really wasn't. Like everything that they did, their theology touched not only their homes, but their civil magistrates. And we love that. We love, I mean, we love to see John Knox talk uh, about saving Scotland. We love yeah. to see, you know, all these reformers really engage in the reality of their world politically, um, socially. There wasn't anything that was off guard to them. And we will read all those reformers' works. I mean, Calvin in Geneva, we'll read all of it. And none of it is Gnostic. None of it is Gnostic. And yet yeah, we'll read I, all that and somehow we'll still walk away. But when, so we love them. So why is there a conflict between loving the reformers and then not acting like them? Well, I think there's four, there's four different kinds of readers. This is part of the difficulty. There's one that only reads secondary sources. So everything has been filtered by somebody uh, else. For them, right. So that's one kind of reader. There's the other one that reads the curated lists. Um, right. So there you can read certain works of the reformers and never be challenged in your cosmology. Um, the, the, because you can, because they're writing about something that you can, that, that doesn't touch that. Right. So, um, you've got guys that read, uh, you know, the, John John Owen's second and third volumes of his works um, and and read all about sanctification and his works on sanctification are wonderful 
but you're not going to touch on cosmology till you get till the 16th volume. And that's when he says, you know, we live in the new heavens and the new, new earth already. Right. Mm. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah. And then he gives an argument for um, that, that, you know, the, the new covenant, uh, the new covenant is typology um, that the new, that the actual new covenant was fulfilled in the return from exile the actual new the new covenant what we call the new covenant was the return from exile um and that we live in the new heavens and the new earth now because that is not uh that uh, and then another new heavens and the new earth comes in the return of christ but we're already in the new heavens and the new earth that isaiah talked about <laughs> and you're like what this is cosmology stuff and his i find is that, that i find his arguments really convincing I don't know where he falls on the eschatological platform. I mean, he's he's definitely optimistic. I don't know where he, you know, if he would be Amil or Postal. I don't know any of that. What I do know is that dude digs into the Bible in its context. What book is that? Sixteen, you said. I think it's volume sixteen. Let me, let me look. You know, I bought that because of you. Where you were talking about the fact he has a political theology too. I think it's book fourteen you talked about. We talked yeah. about that a long time ago, so I had to buy that whole series because people forget he was rolling with Cromwell. I think you're the one who told me about that, right? Yeah. Oh, and then his like his writings on peace and unity are incredible too. Like how to get along with Christians you disagree with and stuff are like really amazing. Didn't he write the Owen was the one who wrote the uh, Mortification of Sin, right? Yeah, which is also an amazing book. Which is hilarious that people will like, like you said, so I, when you're talking about the, the readers, you said one is secondary sources. That's probably the majority of people, right, who are getting it from somebody else who's read it, you know, which is really good. Yeah. And they're telling us about it. I think that's the majority of people. The second one is a curated list is probably most people who are educated or go to a college who their, right. their professors tell them that they need to read these books. And so they read them because they're trying to get a good grade so they can go do whatever it is they really want to do and not really, they're not. They're not the guys. And then the third group is who? Uh, so then the, th- the, man. Oh, no, this is, I'm sorry. Now I'm distracted. No, that's okay. I like you distracted. This is fun. Trying to find which volume has his discourse on the new heavens, the new earth, which is just brilliant. Uh, I wish I had a camera that could follow you around in your library while you're trying to figure out. Oh. <laughs> Here, watch this. We'll see. Oh, your, your camera's going to follow you now? Now I think it will. No. Uh, not quite. It's not, it's not good, but yeah, um, uh, yeah, the, the, but John Owens, he's amazing as a mind. He's not the greatest writer, um, but he just loves the text so much 
that he uh, is willing to dig in and you know and not not just take somebody else's word for um, what is in there, but is going to uh, you. I'll, I'll find it. We can put it in the show notes. Okay, I will talk about uh, it. Yeah, we'll talk about it in a minute. So. I'll search. Through, I'll search through book sixteen too. Did you switch your audio? I don't know. Did I? There you go. Hey, you're there, back. Back. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, but I think. Th- so the yeah. So you've got. Um, so the the first three kinds of of readers are the ones that read secondary sources, the ones that read uh, curated lists, curated lists, um, and then uh, you have readers that um that that basically um they they read but they don't read in a way that lets um that takes they they filter as they go um rather than taking them on their own terms um so Mm. this is this is so C.S. Lewis has a really good book um, about re, uh, reading and readers um, that is called uh, An Experiment in Criticism. Oh, he, yeah, I have he, that book. Yeah. And he talks about the need to let an author speak in their own terms before you uh, and accept and uh, be accepted on their own terms before you judge them. Right. So eventually you've got to judge whether they're right or wrong but you don't judge whether they're right or wrong based on whether or not they meet preconceived Mm -hmm. uh, standards, right? You it's first, you let them speak to you on their own terms. So I just happen to have this book right here because I was just messing with it. The Elizabethan world picture is on the cosmology of the reformation, the cosmology of the writers of the reformation. Um, the English English Reformation. So basically, the Renaissance, the English Renaissance, um, they they have they all had a shared cosmology, um, and it's all over in the reformers' writings um, and in the you know, we you see it in hymns all the way up to the Wesleys. You know, um, his eye diffused. Uh, there, there's a, a great line where it says, "His eye diffused." Um, a life-giving ray, I think, uh, and it's talking about God converting. And we think that he's talking, we we think that he is just giving a metaphor. He's actually using the cosmological optics of his day, right? The way they thought of optics um, in his day, he's using, a, it's a literal uh, line that we take as a metaphor <laughs> because mm-hmm. our understanding of optics has changed. Well, actually, most people don't even know anything about optics. But John Wesley, he he was studying optics because that's what you do if you're an educated person. You regularly study the sciences. You keep up on the scientific knowledge of the day. And there were advancements in optics um, that brought with it a particular and and he and he saw this advancement in optics, which we have since learned was not right, but that in his day he thought it was right. Um, because they were trying to scientifically prove it. And he, and it, he saw that it was a perfect metaphor for 
um, the way God converts the soul, right? The, the way God brings new life to our dead spirit. And so he pulls it into a hymn and we still sing it to this day with no understanding um, that it was actually just an odd little mistake that they made in the theory of optics uh, along the way. And he, but it's all, it, he's right. It is actually a perfect metaphor for conversion, right? That God can, that God, it all it takes is for God to turn his eye towards something for new life to come from it, right? That he, that his, his power um, is such that with just his, his eye and his word, he can bring new life. He doesn't have to be, you know, he, that, um, that, that there's not a, any other process besides the direct work of God's word and his eye saying, go th- you do this here. Right. And it's a perfect, it's a perfect little metaphor right in the middle um, uh, of, of uh, God diffused his, oh, I wish I could remember exactly the line. Um but it's you're, a, it's you're a, 0 for two right now. I just want you to know. I'm 0 that. for two. Oh my god. for two. You now couldn't I find got... the Owen stuff. Uh, you can't remember the. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. I know. I know that stuff drives you nuts. <laughs> it does. Yes. Uh, yeah. This drives me. Uh, thine eye diffused a quickening ray. Um. And can in and can it be? All right, so not, so but but so we the the fourth kind of reader is the one who comes to the text and says, "Okay, I want to understand it on its own terms. I want to understand these guys on their own terms first. Um, and not so the the third reader is there because the 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 text is useful for some um for some plan he has, right? He has a use for this text. So he doesn't ever submit himself to it because the text is a tool that he's going to be using for something. And we treat the, I, I think pastors especially treat the scriptures this way, right? We don't come to the text. We don't pray through it before we preach. We don't, um, we don't spend time making sure it, it, we have applied it in our own lives before yeah. we yeah. teach it, right? We don't come to the text to submit to it and let it, let it dig its wells right inside of us right inside of us and then draw from those wells um the what uh the water for people right we we try to we come with it to the text with a um what do i need what do i need to say which direction do i need to push this church which direction you know um and and so we do the same thing with the reformers we go looking for uh quotes that will support our agenda rather than um, uh-huh. go to, to look to, and, and this is something that, I mean. Yeah. I, Cause you know what? It, go ahead. I'm it, sorry. It's just, it, it's just a, it, it, it's not something that you can only do to the Bible. It's something you have to learn to do in general to, to the texts that come before, right? To, like, it's a way of most. So, a Gnostic understanding ignores the great conversation that's came come before us. That's what Gnosticism is made to do, though. 
made to do made yeah. to, to unroot dis- you from history. Yeah, dis- so when we Dislodges, when we come yeah. to the scriptures, people have been interpreting the word of God since Adam, and we're joining that mm. that conversation between God and humanity where we're at and and to think that we can jump into the position of adam um is a gnostic way of thinking like i what would it look like to hear this for the first time right um well we we don't know we've got some people that reported to us when they heard it for the first time but we didn't hear it for the first time right we um and it's helpful to read those folks that heard it for the first time or to hear about that those stories but we're not in that position. The question is, how do I read it now when my I have a, a vocabulary that once was formed by the King James Bible that now mm. has been degraded to a different language almost, um, you know, I, but it's it's still, you know, in there. The, the word of God is still probably the most formative thing shakespeare and the king james version are probably the two most formative books on the english language as it current eat still to this day so how do we how do we submit to the text here and now and is a become a part of the human race again um while you were talking i was thinking i know this is a passion for you because Literature is your thing. Mm-hmm. So you're going to talk about it in a very literary way. So and I expect that. I expect that yeah. from you because that's how you, you engage. I'm a theonomist, so I'm going to talk about it from a very... <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and so when you talk about destroying Gnosticism, um, I think you talk about it in a very historical way where you think about the conversation that humanity is in, which I think is super important because we lose that. Um, and I, and so, and for me, when I hear that, I'm thinking, yes. And then I want to add to that. I believe that in God's law, he's placed Gnostic busters for us. Right. And this is why the argument over enforcing the first table of law, the second table of law and the civil magistrate is super important to me because there's a lot of people out there that think that the first table of law is dealing all with internals and the second table of law is dealing with externals. And that's a Gnostic view to me. Like that's a Gnostic understanding because actually the first table of the law is external. (laughs) Idolatry is an external thing, my guy. That's why they could punish it in Israel (laughs) because it was manifesting itself externally. Right. Not right. obeying the Sabbath day was an external thing, which is why they could punish it externally, right? Uh, and so it's not so it doesn't work like oh the first table is none and then the, is is internal. No, no, no. And and the, here's the Gnostic buster I think about and all the tables of law, which I think the whole thing is, but the fifth commandment particularly is one that blows the Gnostic categories clean out the water. Because there is actually a promise built into it. And I would even say that the, a large portion of the law is based in the fifth commandment because of the hierarchical structures that it, it, it creates. So to, 
when you think of honoring your father and your mother, that what your days may be long on the earth, which the Lord your God has given you. And then you see Paul say the same thing to a bunch of Gentiles in the new covenant. He gives the land promises to them. Which land promises? The whole land. He's putting in the whole thing. Oh, you're ready. Yeah. To, I see you ready to say. Well, so. no, I, I, the, I think that Ephesians six three. Here's, here's what's amazing. Oh snap! He's got some amazing. Because he says that it may be well with thee. He, so yes, six two and three. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. Right. So it's, he, he quotes the text directly, except for the last word he switches because of the cosmological change that has happened with Jesus's resurrection and ascension. And, and Christ comes in and holds the feet of the, pharisees to the fire saying that you know you deserve the death penalty for not taking care of your parents right right yeah so so but but i think that we have the that one of the reasons that we don't know how to deal with passages like this is that we actually don't believe that we live in a blessing and cursing covenant anymore right that the the covenant has been that the, the nature of covenants has shifted such blessing and, and cursings are historical things but we have turned blessing and cursing into spiritual things how do you read revelation then well you know what i mean because if there's if there's if the blessing and covenant blessing and cursings aren't really a part of the new covenant then you can't read what happens in the book of revelation and understand it very well can you because you have well, churches who are being unfaithful yeah what I would say is most of the time we read revelation revelation. So preterism is the Gnostic buster for revelation. Oh boy. You just keep throwing. just, we're going to need security. Keep going. So Yeah, I know. But so here's the thing, because I'm, I'm a, a pre, I don't like the term partial preterist, but I'm not. I know. Uh, yep. I'm, but only because I think that recenters it in the wrong direction. Uh-huh. I, I think, I think partial preterism is the center. Um, it, everybody is a partial preterist of some stripe, right? Even like everybody's even the most, anonymous of some stripe. Yeah. yeah. So the um, and quote unquote full preterism, I think, is is not the center, and it's never been um, it's never been a historic option theologically. It's always been condemned as heresy. So. Uh, I don't, so I don't like that they get the, they get the positive um, prefix, <laughs> but I don't have a better term for it. So I'm a partial preterist. Um, uh, but what the Gnostic there, there is a Gnostic form of preterism though, that says that, um, that, that preterism uh, ended the, it it ended with the destruction of Jerusalem because that was when the I mean full so full preterism would be a Gnostic version of preterism right right so which is which uh, wouldn't be much different than um everybody else at that point then it's just on a different it just the it falls on the right. other side of the 
yeah, the way that they can make sense of it is, well, the old covenant had all the physical stuff and that's finished, right? And so now it's all Gnostic. Um, but historic preterism, guys like John Owen, um, there's a really cool book that's just called The Destruction of Jerusalem um, that goes that goes through, it's really small. It's, I mean, it's almost a pamphlet. It's so small. Um, here it is. This is a fantastic book. I think it's out of print, but it's Should by George, again, George Holford. Oh, okay. Uh, the destruction of Jerusalem. It's an absolute, this is, this is how, you know, it was written a long time ago because the, uh, the original title was an absolute and irresistible proof of the divine origin <laughs> of Christianity. <laughs> it's been renamed the destruction of Jerusalem. Um, Peter, uh, George, Peter Holford. And it's really small. But he just goes through um, all of the the fulfilled prophecies that Jesus made, right? Um, and says Jesus prophesied this in this year. It happened in this year, and he footnotes all of the historians um, the, from the time that the eyewitness accounts of the prophecies of Jesus happening. That kind of preterism is a um, is a Gnostic buster because you see. Um, the curses and the blessings happening in real time uh, back then and uh, post-resurrection if if um, and then it gives you the freedom to to combine the strengths of a preterist reading of revelation and an idealist reading of preter uh, of revelation which is what i think we need because otherwise revelation doesn't still apply um, but how does it apply? Well, it applies because it is the it's showing us the the function uh, of the blessings and curses in history, in reality. It's a revelation. It's an apocalypse. It's a revealing. It's a lifting back of the veil. This is let me show you the gears behind reality. This is how it works, right? Um, and then and then reality is dropped back in front of us, and by faith we say it still works this way. When you worship God by faith in his presence, then the blessings flow out from you to the rest of the world. Right? The blessings are transformative to you, and then you become a fountain out of which the blessings transform the rest of the world. Um, by the way, that's a story if, that has been – this goes back to your point that's so important. That's the Genesis story. It is, yeah, right? So it's it's a the the – you know, revelation is um, you. The, I think the two the, the most important books to understand revelation are Genesis and Exodus. Okay, okay. So, what is a what is a great book you would recommend to understand revelation? Because when we read Revelation, it's been the uh, oh, this is a good point. I, I don't usually say this about what I say, but I'm going to say it because I think I got this from you. I probably don't know it, which is most of the things that uh, I think I I took something from you when we did our our talk on X spaces. Remember, you had talked about. Um, Oh, I can't remember what it was. It was something good. I stole it from you. I just want everybody to know. Anything good I say it probably came from Jason Farley or Pastor Doug Wilson or James Jordan. So those three guys. Um, but um, I, I totally forgot what I was going to say now. God didn't want me to brag because I just lost it. What, what were you talking about? Well, um, that if you want to read the book of Revelation, then oh. a, deep, a deep knowledge of Genesis and Exodus is the um, is what you need. Yeah. Okay. What was what were some of the books that you want to give us 
what's a good book to read revelation because i've been going through a david uh chilton's book on revelation the commentary has been phenomenal yeah Um, i that's that's so i mean that that is my that that's where that was the first commentary i ever read mm. Um, and so that one is really good days of vengeance yeah but and then uh there's a really really great set of lectures uh by bruce gore bruce w gore.com um and he just walks through the book of revelation and explains uh it in its historical context g-o-r-e yeah um uh, he so the i mean the the two guys i've learned the most from are bruce gore and um well yeah doug wilson bruce gore and uh and uh um oh the the pastor out in tennessee who's his history yeah george grant his history lectures i mean it's life-changing i'm on gore's site right now what just under uh what's the title of it revelation uh, yeah revelation okay i'll find it okay so Man, I really did lost. I lost exactly what I was going to say earlier. Okay, so I want to go back because, man, we just went down to the rabbit hole with this. I want to go back to communion, the Gnostic side of. Oh, oh I'm still, I'm still here. Okay, so when you have um, a Gnostic view of the sacraments, <sighs> we're getting so much trouble for this. I don't care. I don't care. You can make your own shows, people. Um, <laughs> When you have a Gnostic view of the sacraments, all of the things that come with promises get turned into spiritual realities instead of tangible ones. And so this has been interesting for me because I've watched guys, okay, so like with the tables of the law, right? They are, this is their, their argument for enforcing the first table of the law is like, no, because those are spiritual ones. And it's like, but there was nothing that was just spiritual. And it's always both and because we're that type of being that is both a we're a human that's in us to be physical and internal, right? Those aren't separate. They more they work together. That's a reality, right? So the law applies to both of those realities. It doesn't do one or the other. And that's something else I think that the our cosmological shift has happened has changed in us is that we have an, a very either or false dichotomy about the world. It's either this or it's either that, but it can't be both and. That's a horrible, that's a horrible thing. And I think it's happened because we're trying to fight contradictions. But just because you can't always understand something doesn't mean that it's necessarily a contradiction, right? There are contradictions, but um, it doesn't always have to be the case. So anyway, don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But I do want to say, though, so then when we see New Testament, when we see um, promises or we're told to be faithful. Faithfulness then doesn't actually ha- come with, at least the way that I'm starting to see people talk about the new covenant, when they talk about faithfulness, faithfulness is not a prerequisite to the covenant reality. It is just something that is a requirement, but not a prerequisite for covenant realities because then it doesn't have blessings. And that what I mean by that is this. I've watched a lot of people talk about faithfulness to God as if somehow being faithful to God doesn't come with a boatload of treasures. Right. And, right. and, and 
But that's just not how covenants work. You know, when you are under covenant, you're swearing allegiance to God, right? So you, um, I love this structure of covenant, theos, um, which is transcendence, uh, you know, basically who's in charge. Uh, H stands for hierarchy. Who do I report to or how does the structures work underneath this covenant? Um, e is for ethics. Um, yeah, yeah, theos. And then O is for oaths. So in ethics is like, what's the laws required to the keeping of this covenant? Oaths are the things that I swear to. And then um, and then the last one is succession. What does it look like for this covenant to actually work, right? So there's a promise to it. There's a fulfillment. It's a um, continuality. How does it continue on? Because um, when you make covenant, you're not making covenant by yourself. I always remind my kids this, that when God made covenant with Adam, he made covenant with Adam and his posterity. It wasn't just Adam. He represented the whole nation. But God made covenant with Abraham. He made it with Abraham and all of those people that was underneath him. So that was a, a retelling of the Genesis story again, right? And so when you have this covenant, um, and all covenants, there are covenant blessings and covenant curses. You don't get away from that. So faithfulness is a prerequisite to the covenant that comes with blessings and curses, so if you're faithful, then the Lord rewards that because that's the type of covenant that we have. And if we are not faithful and you break the covenant, there is um, sanctions that follow with what should happen if you break the covenant, right? So if if there was a covenant that was to be broken, you'd be what you were cut, you were sown in half, you were blood was spilled. That's why we had the shedding of blood and covenants to say this represents me if I were to break this. But then the whole point of making covenants was because you were better together with that person than away from them, right? That was a whole idea. So when you submit yourself into a covenant, you were saying, we have an agreement of blessings and curses, right? Somehow right. in the new, in the new, the way that people look at the new covenant, and maybe it's because of Gnosticism, we don't have any blessings that are tangible. We only have spiritual right. ones. And then faithfulness doesn't beget any real tangible blessings except for maybe some sprinkles of, oh, uh, you, you can have some joy in your family. But it doesn't actually yeah. have, but every time, but if you, when we think about, and this is why I think it's Gnostic, but when we think about Israel, when they thought of salvation, Israel wasn't just thinking of salvation as some internal reality. Salvation was being saved from Egypt physically. That was the preface to the Ten Commandments. Remember, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, right? He was their salvation, not just in, in a spiritual one, which was a reality because they had to turn to God and fear God and love his law, but also they had they had, were under an oppressed leader and God saved them in that process. That's part of the covenant. And so somehow we've, re, we've relinquished the reality that God saves his people for real in time. That's why we love the, I think that's why we love the reformers. We love the reformers because we get to see what covenant faithfulness looks like in reality, but we don't believe that that's actually something that's tangible in today's age. And so there is a Gnostic view of faithfulness that makes us think that faithfulness only works spiritually internally and it, that's where the benefit is, but it doesn't actually have tangible realities. And I just don't believe that. Yeah, but it, it's not presented that way. It, it no. Usually what they, what they say is, what they say, what we say, because it's actually the common American Christian view. 
what we tend to say is, um, hey, look, it's a covenant with no curses. Isn't that good news? And then you lose the blessings too, but you don't talk about it. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and that's yeah, the so, thing. Like, so if you it, get blessings, they have to be curses. Yeah, right? yeah, there's there's it it isn't um because otherwise it's not a covenant. So when That's you say right. it's a covenant covenant Ooh. with no curses, what they're saying is not really a covenant, and so there's no blessings too. And well, then how can you um, keep it? Like anyway, anyway go, go, go. Yeah, I, but, just, but but I think that the thing that gets people um that gets people's um you know socks wadded is when you start talking about keeping the covenant, if you forget that the way you keep covenant is by faith, then it starts to sound like works righteousness to people. Right. But the key, but this is why James says, um, you show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works. Right. <laughs> he says, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be out here keeping the covenant. Right. And, and it's, and God has told us that this, these are the things that it looks like to keep the covenant and faith is the heart of it right faith is where it begins faith is faith is the way we keep covenant and faith looks a certain way um over time right so it it has to work its faith works its way out over time when you turn faith into a gnostic connection with god it quits caring about what it looks like to work its way out over time which is you know i was at a i bit i went to my first ever mega church i didn't i haven't even talked to you since i did this i visited a mega church david they let you in <laughs> i was it was like a it, it was like a low-grade new kids on the block concert i was like what i ain't gonna this? lie people act like those aren't fun they are lying those are it was, fun it was it was, it was a blast but i was like it was like but but it was um they were having a guest speaker um and probably a woman the, i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> no they <laughs> They actually did it. So this is the part they did a good job with, right? Is um, the guest speaker was interviewing a woman. And so they actually stopped and said, we're not in church anymore because we're going to, we're, it's, so we're going to end church so that, because, so, but this is the, this is in my, my thought was, why did we have church at all? But I realized they don't have, they don't have other categories, and so to justify mm. um, to justify the meeting, they had to have church. And so what they did, this is uh, it blew my mind. I I they got up, that you have the lights and you have everything going and the the um, the smoke machines and stuff and and then they bring this line of people out and they sing, they each sing a different song, and then the pastor comes out and he says, Okay, everybody bow your heads and pray this prayer with me. If you've already been saved, pray it anyway to encourage your neighbors. And he walked people through the, the sinner's prayer, repeat after me. And he had everybody repeat. And he was like, some of you in here, this is the first time you prayed that prayer. And now you're saved. <laughs> I was like, Oh, this really happens. Oh, you I didn't. Believe it. <laughs> oh, I've never goodness. seen it. I've never oh, seen it before. I grew up in first... that world. I grew up in that world. Yeah. I'd heard, I'd heard rumors. This sort of thing happens. <laughs> I'd never seen it with my own eyes. I was, I was just, I was tickled to see how amazingly terrible it was. Um, because, but, but they had n turned faith into a Gnostic thing. Right. Mm. And so faith is something that happens in your head between you and God. And it's, invisible. Oh. Right, which is wait, what the wait, opposite it's not? 
<laughs> no, that's James's whole point, right? James's whole point is faith is not invisible. God tells us what faith looks like, right? Um, and and it's something that that over time you um, you get more as as your faith grows, right? As your as your trust in Christ grows, you grow in all these sorts of way, right? And it's put the, your the put your faith out, Jason. Put your faith out. Let me see your faith, <laughs> right? The fruit of the spirit, right? He says this is this is what it's going to look like. Now it's over time, right? And so you, so it's not a snapshot deal. Um, it's not a thing where you at this moment. I can take a snapshot and can tell whether you've got faith or not. It's something that over time, um, James tells us that you, we, that the good works that God has prepared before prepared us for beforehand, that's what mm. faith looks like. So right? baptism would be a, a, a mark of faith, right? That's a tangible reality. Would, that, would you say that? I, well, no, baptism is where your faith, where your faith rests in. <laughs> Oh, I started something. I'm just trying to say when you say when you say back, okay, I'm not going to get you there. No, 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 no. When you say that um, faith is something that's not in your head and between you and God, I'm just trying to say, well, show me where your faith. Is. Show me faith. Show me faith. Where's faith? Right. Um, this is this is the point James makes when he says uh, we show our faith by our works. Right. Mm. Faith faithfulness um, is called faithfulness because it's what faith w- looks like in action. So faith, faithful means full of faith. Mm. So when I act faithful, it's because I'm full of faith. Now there are people that try and try and have quote unquote faithfulness, but they don't have the heart of the matter. Um, Right now hypocrites, that's hypocrites. Yeah. So you're trying to put on a mask rather than have the heart of the matter. Yeah. That's what, yeah. That's what hypocrisy means. um, A mask wearer. Um, Mm. So you, you, put on a mask so instead of actually changing your face you put on a mask um and so you're a, a, that hypocrisy is it's it's a lit, it's a literary and drama term which yeah that's know. right <laughs> we'll so has a historical meaning i'm sure yeah <laughs> but the way that the promises of god that we have faith in right because faith means believing the promises of god that he's given to you the way those promises are given to us is in baptism their general, their general promises to the world, um, but they, but they become personal promises to us in our baptism, right? They, they are our name gets attached to the promises in baptism. Um, so the, but they're promises to bless and to curse. That's why baptism is not, um, so, so this is why simultaneously you can say, well getting baptized is not getting saved, you know, because getting baptized is getting, um, is entering into the covenant. Um, it's a way of being joined to the covenant. God's name is put on you, but that's why we don't want to take God's name in vain, right? Carry God's name in vain. When God's name is put on us, the thou shalt not take God's name in vain means we don't carry it in an empty way. Um, hypocrite. When, yeah, we don't become hypocrites, right? You you shall not become a hypocrite. Um, there, mm. that's that's a, uh, so the the, but a covenant that doesn't have curses is a covenant that you can't know you're in or out of. Um, <laughs> you know, you have no idea of when you're keeping it or when you're not. Like, if, right. like that's the same way of saying a covenant that doesn't have uh 
ethics, then it can't have oaths. Right. And and this is why you got um you have Puritans that can can call things like the Lord's Supper, they can call it a converting ordinance. Like we don't have a term for that because for because we think of uh of we we think we don't think we need to be converted over and over and over. But um that was one of the ways they described sanctification is that the process of conversion, but it's because your life is being converted from a life of someone who doesn't serve the Lord to someone who does. And you're in the midst of this giant conversion of your people, right? Your people are being converted and it's a process with that happens within history. Now there's also, I mean, but I'm, mean, you know, that, they were also evangelicals that believed in the regeneration by the direct, uh, by by the the uh, the regeneration by the direct act of the Holy Spirit. Right? They believed that too. They're they're not. They're, these are not opposed to one another. You can have you can believe that the work of the Spirit of regeneration is a real work. What we what we call in our the theological term of regeneration, and you can also call baptism the fount of regeneration because regeneration is a covenantal promise right it's just that, a spirit it's just a spiritual thing and we just we just got some stuff we just sprinkle some water <laughs> on folks and they don't really do nothing right and that's and that's where i mean and unfortunately that's how we treat marriage now too right the, oh! the same thing right we we've, we've taught the world um oh! how to how to oh, treat oh. That had a mistreat marriage. You, you can't if you get the sacraments wrong and you start acting gnostic. Everything's gnostic. But here, right. here, here's something that's really interesting. I should I say there's a conflict. I got something on my head. There's a conflict that that is a reality inside of um, Christians where they know better than that, and so they fight against it. But they're they're not. Mm -hmm. They're having. It's like um, they 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 could they're fighting uphill. Right. And it's like, you know, if you actually go the, the momentum of the hill, the way that God's designed the world, this will be a lot easier for me because you can't beat the hill. And so God has given us things, certain um, wonderful things in this world that make things tangible. This is why I think by default, everybody who is against um, enforcing uh, the law can't help, can't help but say no abortion has to be illegal in the world. Slavery has to be wrong. Right. And they they and so they, there's these things that kind of put checks into it so that we don't really go all the way off the rockers. And I praise God for that. But when you were talking about um, work righteousness, um, oh, you said that we look at the new covenant. You were talking about, and I, I wrote this down because I don't want to forget it. You said that we look at the new at the old covenant. Um, how did you word this? You're talking about there's there's when we talk about actually keeping the covenant, we look, think about it as being work righteous, righteous, but work righteousness was never a part of the old covenant either. Right. Yeah. And that's where we make the mistake at is that we look at the old covenant and think, Oh, that's work righteousness. And then we look at the new covenant and we think, Oh, that's not work righteousness. It's all in faith. And whoa, that was, these are not, these are more unified than you think they are. And we look at the old covenant and say, there's all this work righteousness. It's like, no, actually it was all in faith. They had to do yeah. everything in faith or they were judged wrong for it too, right? Like it wasn't like, oh, we've done the thing and now we're good. No, there was a reality to, to that, that trusted the Lord for their salvation. 
Yeah. That's why Paul, uh, Paul's talking about. Yeah, go ahead. You're about yeah, to jump well, he, Yeah, I mean, he just often he argues from historical order all the time, and that's why we don't understand it. Explain he says so he says, What came first? Yeah. Yeah. Faith that's what or circum- circumcision, uh, right? Yeah. Which came first? What was the historical order? He does the same thing. Um his argument against women preachers is a historical order argument too. And we, so, which is the same. So we don't understand that as well Um, because he is, is he can see that the order that God does things in is part of the argument. Gnosticism has to reject that. Right. Um, Why why does it it matter who was made, who was made first and who was made second? Why does it matter? Why does any of that matter? What, why does it matter if, if it's by faith, it's by faith. Why does it matter that circumcision came after faith? Um, and he says it's because the, 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 um, the covenant was always going to be kept by faith. And so the, the external real marks of the grace, um, you know, that the, the grace that was both signed, signified and conferred as the Westminster confession puts it um by the the signs of the covenant <laughs> which is fantastic i love that um so it's it's a not it's right it's a it's the the enemy of gnosticism in the westminster confession gnostic um, busters <laughs> it's gnostic busters uh the 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 reason um that the order matters is because the he he's told how to keep the covenant you keep the covenant by faith uh Abraham had faith and it was accounted to him as righteousness, right? Righteousness, meaning he did the right thing. He kept the covenant. He did the thing the covenant required. And so now all of the, when the signs of the covenant all show up, um, the, the signs of the promises, Abraham is intended to remember that you, you keep this covenant by faith. Here's all the signs. Here's the, here's the blessings and the cursings of the covenant. Here's the, the slow rollout of the, of the requirements of the covenant and all of that comes, but you keep this covenant by faith. Right. And so when the new covenant um, comes along and is fulfilled by Christ um, and, and uh, then the, the, uh, the covenant of Christ is established, nothing has changed you still keep the covenant by faith. Now the blessings of the new covenant are greater and the curses mm. of the new covenant are greater, we're told. Um, but the, the, uh, and the access of the covenant of, of the Messiah, the messianic covenant, the, the Jesus's covenant, that uh, the access is fundamentally greater. And it's the access in two ways, right? We've got access directly to the presence of God. It's garden We've access. Got, Garden, garden access. access. We've got access to the inner life of the triune God. We become a part of that family. And that so I mean this is why some people will say, well, why doesn't the Trinity show up in the Old Testament? So well it does. It shows up um veiled uh in the Old Testament, but before the fall, it's also made very plain and clear um in the first two books of Genesis. But the um but then the the access to the inner life of the triune god isn't given to us in the old testament because of sin and death right and so the, there's a veil uh, there's actually a series of veils that are slowly um 
taken down until there's only one veil left by the time Jesus gets, which is to the Holy of Holies. That veil is torn. And then all of a sudden we know about the Trinity, right? Well, it's because now we actually are a part of that inner life of God. We're given access all of the way to the inner life of the triune God. So it makes perfect sense that you wouldn't know about the, the inner life of God in the old Testament. He was still, you know, whole, the holy places were still dark places there. You, we, it, we had to veil our eyes to go in there. There was no light in the Holy of Holies. It, so we had to be blind while we were there. Um, and so that all of that makes sense. But then suddenly it, uh, once the Messiah has raised from the, you know, died and raised from the dead and ascended into heaven, we have access to the inner life of God. We've got direct fellowship um, with God now through the Spirit. We have uh, the 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 curses on the human race are being unrolled, rolled back. Uh, you, you, so you see all of this happening, and and then Gentiles are included, right? You you the the middle wall of partition that kept the Gentiles out in the outer courtyard, outside the outer courtyard in the court of the Gentiles. That's all taken down too. And suddenly Gentiles can become priests, just like it was predicted in the uh, descriptions of the old, uh, of the new heavens and the new earth, right? You, you've got the ordination of Gentiles happening all over the world now uh, as priests. Um, Only it, spiritually. <laughs> the thing is the spirit is more real and more historical and than we are right we um th this is why jesus reach, reach can walk, walk this is why jesus can walk through walls is because now suddenly he's got a spiritual body so he's more dense than the walls the walls are like water to him <laughs> that's amazing that's c.s lewis I, that's <laughs> i stole it okay are you done? Because you you have. So I'm much done. I get. I get. I, this this stuff gets me worked. I up. can see this. Yeah, it gets me worked up too. Because I'm trying to tell people right now. Like when you're talking, all I keep thinking about is, oh my goodness, the world is a more radically different place than I think. You know, and God has done more in this world than I know. Even the right. second time around, and so, and this, <laughs> this this is where this is where. I think the current incarnation of what's being called Christian nationalism, mm. this is, this is what I think is missing. Um, it, because too much of the discussion is how do we go get the power? Yeah. And okay. Before, before you go, before you go there, before you go there, cause I think you're right. But can I say what I think they have right first? Sure. Yeah, of course. That's, that's better rhetoric anyway. That's what I should okay. have done. Okay. Cause here's what I think they have right. And and I totally agree with what I think you're about to go. They're not functionally, they're not functionally acting like Gnostics. That's one thing I really have to appreciate about how they're functionally acting. They really believe, and they, without any equivocation, have no problem saying Christ is Lord over every aspect of life, over every corner of yep. the universe, over everything. Now, I think they share some. Um, Gnostic principles that get them in trouble on how to execute some of the things that we share. I, don't I, I think it's that they, what they share is the cosmology of Gnosticism. Right. But they understand the principles of the covenant yep. really well. Right. I, I, it's the end. And, and there's a couple of things. It's the one of them is, um, you know, you've got 
the the parable of the son who says I'm going to go do it and doesn't do it, and then the parable of the son that says no I'm not going to go do it and does do it and you know the um and which one you know which one would you rather have well obviously the one that says I'm not going to do it and then does do it now there's obviously a third category that we that is ideal where you say you're going to go do it and then you do it um, right. but if but given those two options that's the preferable one and to not have a uh, a theology this and this is where why i i don't put up with people like going after macarthur um right now because he just he's the he stood <laughs> right everybody else went limp like rag dolls and he stood and he he didn't have a, the theology to support it but he knew what faithfulness looked like and he did it and so you what so that's a it um you say oh that's interesting he you 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 know the you read the old things and he, where he argues for something different than what he did but when faced down with um honor or dishonor christ he said well i'm not going to dishonor him i'm going to honor him right and so um so i don't i don't care if he had a theology that didn't uh that didn't understand what was coming or see you know, didn't lay out what you ought to have done properly because when the time came he did the right thing can i ask something else to that too this is why i don't i think the only consistent position for unity in this has to be post-millennialism because for me why are you looking at me like that <laughs> well could, um i should finish I, what i'm going to say first probably, yeah you, you if you finish what you're going to say and then because I don't like the look questions. that you you look like you disagree with me. I don't really like that look because look like we're about to get into a fight. But I'm going to try to say it. <laughs> I'm going to say what I was, And here's why I say that, because for me, it is not a prerequisite that you hold the postmillennialism for you to be engaged in postmillennialism. Right. And so when I postmillennialism for me is the most unifying form, because I see guys who do not hold my theological position and I see them fighting towards my theological position, even though they won't hold to it. And that's the beauty of postmillennialism is you don't have to be one to act like one. And so right. when I see guys who don't share my theological view, I have a place in my theology that says everybody is some part of the Christian military in Christendom that is fighting to destroy the enemy. Whether you're G3 and all you do is focus on churches and the life of the church, whether you are a pro-life ministry um, like in abortion now and you focus on um, more detailed intended legal things and you're trying to pass laws, whether you're inside of, a, of the Southern Baptist Convention and all you care about are the missions to other nations. My position of theology has a building that all of you guys are in right. advocating for my theological end at the end of the day. And so, yeah. <laughs> and so I don't know how to be more, you know, it's the only position I keep on having white stuff all over my face. I don't even know where it's coming from. And you're not even a good friend to tell me like, Hey man, you got white stuff <laughs> here and there. And you know, so you know what I mean? And so you, like, you, you know, I can't look at you and be like, Hey dude, you looking white. <laughs> I can't say that. <laughs> you know what? I wish you would now. <laughs> yeah. Like, I can't even see it from, you you've got you've got the eye for that sort of thing. I uh, see it. I'm trying to get yeah. it all. Out. I don't know what it's like, what it's coming from. It's like glint or glitter or something. Uh, but you know what I mean. And so like for me, yeah, I can go and hold hands with people who are like completely hate my position, right? Like, totally, and, and be so joyful that, about it. In that sense, I'm totally with you. Like I had a a, a good friend, a dude I love. He's he is, um, a, 
he's the kind of charismatic that makes me super uncomfortable, right? But was he he was like, hey, he 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 shows up at one of our pastor group meetings and and starts passing out the book, The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates. <laughs> he's like, hey, everybody, you all need to read this. Like, um, and uh, and and he comes over to me and I was like, ah, I've, I've already got one. Give it to somebody else. And, and I've already read it. <laughs> He's like, Oh, how did you hear of it? I'm like, well, that's just, that's like, that's part of my theology. That's part of my theology. And he was like, Oh, I wondered where it came from. Like he didn't know he, so he had come across it um, as practical. He was looking for practical resources on, um, on christians influencing the government and that somehow came <laughs> up in an Calvinism. amazon search yeah, yeah, yeah. right that this came great. up in an amazon search and i was like yeah i um i don't need uh to to say hey that doesn't fit into your into that's some right. of your charismatics that's right, right. I, I, that's I can right. just say and but i i also think that the reason that jesus is being um discarded from the public square or insulted now in the public square is because of the lack of unity in the church. So um, I think, you know, we need to Gnostic sacraments. Yeah. I mean, we, we don't have, I mean, we are, we are more divided than the church has ever been in the, uh, the you know, the American Wait, church really? is more divided than the church has ever been historically you would say that historically yeah this is i think Whoa. i think they're i think they're going to i think our era will be called the era of schismatics i think that's that's what our era is going to be called see this is why i think we need COVID 2.0 because when i saw COVID happen it's coming i mean i don't, I don't think it's i don't think so no i think no not in like the i think something else will happen that people won't even recognize it when it comes back again like that's what bothers me with COVID 2.0 because it won't be like in COVID. People are all waiting for COVID to come back with, like, they're going to tell us to shut down. They're going to tell us with the mask. They're going to tell us. It's like they ran the test and they won. What are you talking about? They don't need to run the same play again. They already scored with that one. And we don't get it. We're so late. Oh, my, my God. I'm going to have to go. Okay. Listen, <laughs> when they did COVID, they did not run a test. COVID, they were putting into play the future. It was not a test. It was putting in play the future. And we think, oh, it was a test. No, 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 no. They got everything they wanted. They got everybody to bend the knee. They got everybody to take the vaccine. They got everybody to not go to work. They got everybody not to go to church. There wasn't one group that stood up ultimately against them in COVID. When it all happened, everybody bowed when they heard the sound. When they heard the sound of the lyre and the harp and they were told to bow and everybody bow and they were like, okay, our gods are actually officially in authority now. It was a cosmological shift, or should I say the, it was a reordering of authority in COVID completely. And it totally took in, went into effect. So whatever they're coming with next will be the second iteration because what they, and this is why covenants are so important. The first thing that they established with COVID was a transcendent argument. Who is in charge? That's what COVID was. COVID was a run for who was in charge. And they were like, us. It was a turning of gods. That's what it was. And, and so now the second thing that they're going to do 
And they started to do this after the, within COVID, the first couple is setting up the hierarchical structures of that transcendent. The third, third thing, you missed a step. Uh, what's the third thing? No, no, you missed the second step. The second step was hierarchy. The first one was transcendent. The second one was hierarchy. What's the third? The, uh, the third one for me is now the ethics have been put into place. That's no, they. Well, uh, this is, but then they went after the calendar. Oh well, that was a that was a that was in the transcendent argument. Yeah, the calendar is a so transcendent that, argument. Got it. I see what I see what you're saying. So, the, um, because they came out of COVID and they said, so the, here are your new worship days. Here, here are your new. Here are the new definitions of the months. That's right. Here's here's the new holidays. Um, you know, the, I mean, it's amazing the number of jokes that I hear you know about kwanzaa right kwanzaa's kwanzaa's not a I it's mean not a thing it's not a thing right like but but all the and people know that but they also know it's on the calendar like it got put there by the authorities um and so there's hey, some, black people here goes your thing yeah there's a, but it, it it was it was we've got to do it's christmas brings everybody together can't have that everybody's get but nobody's just giving up Christmas straight out. So instead, we got to give everybody their own intersectional holiday. Thanksgiving and Christmas, right? So you got those two. They got to we got to destroy those. We got to destroy those because those are the one you've got the civil unity, um, yearly civil civil unity, the and then the yearly religious unity. We got to get rid of those things. So and which is why I think we've got to. I, I mean, I think we actually have to. I, I don't think we fight for the calendar. We fight with the calendar. That's right, and that's why. So uh, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get that in just yeah, a second because yeah. that's huge. Because I think that's a reordering of a trans. That's the uh, that's the reordering of the transcendent argument. The calendar. Right. I've, I really yeah, yeah. believe that. But but inside of the hierarchical structure, who was allowed? If you want to know who the new priests are, if you want to know the people who are the new hierarchical structure. Who is allowed to move around in COVID? BLM, BLM LGBTQ, strippers. Right? Uh, anything that allowed the government to make more money in this taxing, alcohol, strippers, right? These those became and then who who was honored in the in some of the highest way and promoted during the the um during that time and since then has been the transgender movement. They are the they are the new priest of what is ethically right and wrong. They're in, and, and everybody wonders, well, they're such a small minority. How is it that they're in control? Priests are never the majority. This right. is something you got to remember. You go back and look at, man, this is why you got to know your Bible. You go back and look at numbers. Priests, they, they weren't the great tribe. They were small, right? But they were the hierarchy of between you and God, between the transcendent. And now, right now, if you look at it, a transgender person, the transgender movement, they run the ethics, LGBTQ. They are inside of all of your um, your institutions in one way or another, and people are afraid yeah. now in public to talk, even in public conversation, just talk to say anything in opposition against LGBTQ. Anything, yeah, it doesn't matter because they're the gods of self definition. Mm. So anyway, my whole point to say that is, ooh, ooh. oh, you want to hear a good quote? Yes. Albert Camus um, was reading uh, for my uh, apologetics class, and Albert Camus 
he's uh, he's got a novel called Nausea, and uh, one of his characters says, "It makes me nauseous that I did not create myself." And that's what the book ends up being about: is a guy trying to figure out how to recreate himself, his his actual self, his selfhood, because um, it makes him nauseous that he didn't create himself in the first place. That guy is that that is modernism, post modernity. <sighs> that that the that we want to be our own creator. Right? That's the that that we can't put so it started with um well you know this is why this you know the six-day creation politics of six-day creation is something i'm excited about with your guys's upcoming thing um are you coming to that did we decide if you're coming or not you you were gonna get back to me i thought didn't you talk to gabe oh i did talk to gabe but we didn't talk about that he had a list of things Talk can we about talk about the time. university that's officially live? Can we talk? Or it's going to be live. And we- yeah, it's going to be, it'll be, it'll be live by the end of the week. So the apologize, you'll be able to sign up for my apologetics class by the end of this week. So, um, Oh my goodness. Yeah. So the, uh, uh, next week we need to talk about that. Okay. Okay. Next week we got to um, talk about, and maybe talk about your apologies. Cause we didn't even get to what we're supposed to talk about today. And we're almost two hours. And we're almost the two hours. The image but, good. Go ahead. But I think, I think that, so and th- this this is this is what concerns me about some of the things that the Christian nationalists talk about is it doesn't get away from the self-creation narrative. It sticks to the if we've got enough power, then we can make this society into what we want. The person with power makes it into what we want. And it um and, and I think um and that's nationalism. They want it to be Christian nationalism, so it says the thing that guides us as we create our own um, society is God, right? That the Christians guide the creation of the society, but um, I think that's a cosmological issue. But I, that that quote just it hit me between the eyes because I think that's why our priests are LGBTQ in this society. Well, you know. Because- it- they have they're the ones that have successfully redefined recreated themselves by their desires so it's funny you should bring that up because i actually had something i wanted to talk with you about i was going to talk to you about blind spots and the reason i was thinking about that was because we are when you read historically you see everybody else's blind spots and when you watch a person work through their thought and Years pass, you know, from earlier centuries. You you walk, walk, you listen to them, and you read them, and you realize that um, they're thinking really clearly about what it is they can see, but they're not very aware of the blind spots of what it is they can see, right? And so you like, oh man, like, um, they just miss it. We all miss it. We don't see our own yeah. blind spots, and and I bring that up in context with the Christian nationalist stuff, and along with. Um, uh, power, because Lauren Boebert, she's a representative out of Colorado. Do you, have you heard about this at all? Mm-mm. No. She, um, she's dis- divorced. I think she was married for almost twenty years. But anyway, that she just recently was divorced, I believe. But she got busted at, uh, I think, a Beetlejuice play or concert or something like that. Uh, it was a the- theatrical thing, Beetlejuice, and she was there, and she was with, uh, I think, her boyfriend or some guy. 
and they were kind of being obnoxious. There was a video that was released where the guy was groping her and she's feeling on him and she claims to be a Christian. Um, and she's kind of in that Christian nationalist group somewhat. And so everybody, and so she got kicked out of the theater because of, of this. Now, if this was anybody else, I doubt that the video would have been released. I doubt that it would have been such big news. Yeah. Because she's she pub, has, but been, she's a pub person. She's a public person and yeah. she was acting obscene. And so with a public person, they're going to get them. Um, and so it's been what? interesting. I mean, I think public person is an actual, she holds a public office. Yeah, I don't, uh, absolutely. Yeah. And so, but what's been interesting for me in this is watching some of the, the defense, well, it's not really a defense, the allowance of, or the lack to discipline or feel like we should discipline because of the fact that she is better than the pagan. And if she's, there isn't, who else are we going to replace her with? Um, yes, she's ethically compromised a little bit publicly, but uh, we're, you know, we're, we're not hiring a pastor or, you know, all the arguments to say, hey, this isn't that big of a deal. And Christians who are trying to have some sort of perfect ethic about this are idealists and they need to. And, and so we don't. It, when I think about our blind spot and I think about power, I think power allows us to see things outside of covenantal realities. And it's not that there isn't power that comes. This is what I was talking about earlier. As you take responsibility, power comes, right? Uh, authority comes. I don't think about it like that. Authority comes and authority with all authority comes power, right? Um, but we we tend to um we tend to say, well, if we take her out because we have such a strong ethic, the other side doesn't play like that. And we're playing politics. We're not playing Christian ethics in church. Right. We're playing politics. And so a lot of people have been arguing like, hey, you know what? She was feeling her husband like whatever she said. She's sorry. Or not her husband. Filling up on her boyfriend. He was filling up on her. No big deal. Like, leave him alone. This is a tactic to get you to want to reject her. Now, here's the other narrative. And then you got Trump on the other side who is kind of poo-pooing on a abortion ban, a six-week abortion ban. Right. This has all happened simultaneously. In the narrative. But just thinking about Bur Bobert, our blind spot, I think, is to read the world as if we think that if we don't have the power that is um, in, the in the political side and we remove Bobert or we say she should be removed, then we're removing our ability to engage in fight and battle instead of assuming that covenantally is where the fight and the battle really is. So when, if we want to win those battles and fights, our form of fighting is righteousness. And so we should say, well, hold on. Before you even got to this little situation at Beetlejuice, why did you leave your husband? And I was reading the articles over irreconcilable differences. And I'm like, what the hell is that? You're talking about irreconcilable differences. Get, well, make them reconcilable. <laughs> Since it's yes, just the irreconcilable differences. Oh, I'm not going to talk about that public. You took a public oath. You're right. under covenant. You don't get to be quiet on this one. 
unless well, the man that. is beating you and 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 has avoided out his marital contract in some way, even that needs to be public because you took a public co- covenant. Yeah. And so and I think that that's, that's where we should threw down that. The so that's and and that so and I don't know the whole story. So this is me sort of just talking in principles, but um, when you're a public person, then there are aspects of your life that to remain a public person have to be public. That's, and it's the, uh, this is why Kings and Queens have throne names um, because they're two people at once. They're a private person and they're a public person. Um, This is also people at once. (laughs) (laughs) Prophet priest Kings, right? Well, those are, yes, but the, I know how, yeah, how, how they're, um, and often what they would do, the the uh, many wise kings would also hire a an an official um, conscience, right? So they would hire a person, uh, often a often a pastor or you know that whose job it was to be the conscience of the king um, mm. that was always there, and and um, and always their their whole job was to be aware of and communicate the moral implications of whatever it was that they were doing for their offices right so th- and that's an old christendom way of thinking that you can um that the you know this the the word friend um is actually we use friend in a uh in an um as a as a you know simile or metaphor now the official the official or like the the literal word for friend was somebody the friend of the king was the person who always had access to the throne right so he he didn't have to stop and bow and wait for an invitation to approach the throne he had perpetual a perpetual invitation to approach the throne and say whatever he wanted without uh, there could be consequences that he might lose his access but he could he always had access so when jesus calls us a friend um that's what he's talking about right so um and that what we what we have done is we have tried to separate so that that's a way they they were always trying to pull the public person and the private person together um where you had you were both but it, you were still trying to remain one person. Well, what we've done in, is tried to separate them and said, well, this is their public office. They hold a public office, and that is a power thing. How they use it um, is, is what's important. What they do over here in private doesn't affect it. We know that's not true. But, the, um, but because we don't have the categories that it takes, we actually don't know what things are the issues that affect it. Right. So she's not married and she, you know, is gets, gets caught like making out with her boyfriend. That's not anywhere near the level of divorce that a divorce is. (laughs) Can I say something else too, though? But I, I agree with you. I agree you know what with I mean? you. Like, yeah, absolutely. Like, so yeah, well, why are we flipping we, out about we, that one? Nobody made an issue about divorce. We the, that's a covenantal reality. Yeah. And and the that that needs to be the one that we said, whoa, 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 whoa. How you're 
your job over here is to keep covenant with the Lord on our behalf as our representative, but you can't keep the covenant, the other covenant that you're in over here. You're not keeping that. So okay. I'm going to disagree with you. I'm going to disagree <laughs> with you uh, just a little bit. I think you're right. And of level of importance, the divorce is way, 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 way high. Actually, it validates whether or not you should even be in office. And, Agreed, and, and yeah. we're not even talking about the fact we're talking about women. Okay. That's just another <laughs> thing. That's another thing, right? So, yeah. but, but since we're under judgment, uh, this is a better judgment than most. <laughs> All right. But, and this is proof that we're under judgment because we didn't, we didn't cry foul as soon as we saw the right. first sign of when divorce. That, yeah. But Jason, I think there's something wrong, even with the fact that she is getting felt up publicly by somebody who's not her oh. husband. No, no, I I agree. That's a total yeah. problem. But what I'm yeah. saying is, you we you don't get this kind of problem. Yeah, without yeah, yeah, I agree. If you deal with the with the biggie on the eye chart, right? Like now, but people. So, but here's here's the thing, and this is where, like, we. I, do, do you remember when we had a senator who it turned out he had been having an affair with a Chinese spy? I remember him. Yeah, you remember that? Yeah, and. Nothing ever happened. Not right? to him. No, nothing ever happened to him. And so, what now we have? Um, this is. I. I mean, I look at this situation, and my as you were telling me about it, I was like, "This is God's given us a big allegory for what's going on to the Republican Party." <laughs> Dang, we're being, we're being felt up in public, and nobody's. Hey, I'm stealing that. Oh, I remember the other thing I was stealing from you too. Uh, uh, um. I forgot it already. Go ahead. And, I just keep stealing and, from you. And and the most that we get is, wait a second. Um, that kind of makes me uncomfortable, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, but the 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 reality is that's actually that's the perfect picture I think of what's going on right now, like with the with the the whole poli with politics right um we don't have we, oh my we goodness a, you know we we need we need more ron pauls that just we getting felt up by somebody yeah. that ain't ours <laughs> that ain't ours right yeah and um my my guess is you know i've got guesses as to who it is but the fact that we didn't shoot down that chinese balloon i think is one big feeling up um uh, by the chinese and we didn't do anything about it. We just let that shiny spy balloon float all the way across the country. I mean, we are. You know what? That, you know what? You are so. We're actually cucks. We're actually watching it, right? Like it's just happening, and we're just but, watching it. And a bunch of us were, are like, uh, "You get what? Um, somebody like somebody do something." Yeah. I, this is why I like this is why I like with COVID. My, I, yeah, go ahead. My <laughs> yeah, um, I was told my girls, you have permission. If, if anybody ever reaches out and tries to touch you, you have permission to do whatever it takes, down to biting their hand till it bleeds. Right? Like you don't like no. And uh, <laughs> you better come home with a set of testicles yeah, that are detached. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> Seriously. Like, and they yeah. and they laugh and think it's funny and they have a joke and they 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 always joke like hey don't don't forget bite the hands you know yeah, bite. yeah <laughs> that's no good that's the, but it's just um but the the you it's just part of you know raising kids is but you know you, what you though teach just... them that stuff but 
we live in a world where that goes corporate level it is you you have the corporate the at the corporate national level and the smaller civic levels we're just being used what but what what does it matter if faithfulness is spiritual none of that stuff if you get the sacraments wrong like this is so man if you get them wrong then you let a chinese balloon just float all the way in your nation you don't have a concept of what it means look you got to remember like you i've been going through the bible with my kids and we've been going through a chapter a night and just marinating on it going through numbers and deuteronomy is mind-blowing leviticus numbers and deuteronomy mind-blowing to hear moses so moses gets done telling them all of the law again again and inside joke for those who know what deuteronomy means um (laughs) and then he tells them listen there are blessings and curses to this thing deuteronomy 28 starts actually 27 it starts with it end of 27 and then just rolls into strong deuteronomy 28 and then he gets to the to the end and the 30, I think it's 31, 32. And he's like, and Moses, as soon as you die, God tells them, they all going to go that way. Yeah. <laughs> it's just going to be so. So here, Moses, I want you to write a song. I want you to write a song. And I want you to make sure that all of them remember the song so that if they remember this song and they and they uh, um, fall on their face, I'll hear from them. Right. I'll, I'll turn my ear to them again. And. It's funny because parts of the song, you hear Jesus talking about when he comes in here, you stiff-necked people, you hear all this, and you're like, whoa, this Israel should have heard from knowing this song that when Jesus comes on the scene, like, oh my goodness, we've fallen away. Like, they right. should have they should have had that built into them in such a way that they heard and be like, oh my goodness, this is the song generation that we were taught and we've fallen away and we need to repent. They should have known that. And, and so there's just, there's just this, we wouldn't know. It's funny because I, oh, there's so much I want to say. And we got it. We got to end it. Cause we, I have to go and we have to go and we need to get a chance to talk about it. But I just want to say, everybody, everybody knows that we are underneath a curse, but they don't know. They don't, they don't believe that, we could be underneath a blessing and they don't know how to do that. And it's really not that hard. <laughs> like if once you, I, and this is why, so reading Chronicles along with Deuteronomy Chronicles works out when Kings took over, they restored the thing they were supposed to restore. And then with their, all of their fences down and all of their boundaries removed and other nations were going to come and attack them they restored worship and while they were in worship god went and fought battles for them and and all they had to do was walk out and pick up spoil and all the and every, everybody should have known at that point oh like egypt right it's just like egypt we turned to god we cried out to god we were about to get killed we we were tired of the slavery we were underneath somebody else's rule for the most part and we have no land we have nothing and all we have is god and, I, and and they went and turned to God and and God came and saved them from their enemies. That is not it. God still works that way. 
God still works that way. And we don't believe that. And so then we've, we've become, we've become our own worst enemies and in, in spiritualizing everything. But then yeah. God gave us real tangible sacraments to understand this is the kind of world that still exists. This hasn't changed. You're still underneath the covenant, you know? And uh, anyway, I, there's so much I want to say on that, but go ahead. I'll let you have the last words. Well, and, and I think this is, this is the thing that um, when you talk about blind spots, this is the blind spot. The blind spot is a, is a cosm is that we, we share a cosmology with the modernists and don't, so we can't see that we act just like them. Right. So they cry out to their gods. Um, and we say, you know what? We probably should control their gods, right? Rather than crying out to our God, right? Because we don't believe mm. that our God, um, uh, rules f f f in our favor. Um, and mm. we don't believe that he uh, rules in a physical present way. Um, and sometimes, it, you know, the, you, the, the, the Psalms, the Psalms make sense when you say, okay, Lord, why are you, why are you prospering the wicked? Mm. Other times I, or, but I think what happens is a lot of times we say, well, we know that wickedness prospers. Yeah. Yeah. But in the long run, spiritually, it doesn't. Right. Um, but what David says is, why are the wicked prospering, Lord? That's not the way this world works. That's not mm -hmm. the way this story works. ASAP What's, 273. You, yep. Right. Yep. So you've got this um uh the 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 working out within history is that when we go before the Lord in humility, and that's the one of the marks of the Spencer's in Spencer's images of life, the images of good. One of the marks of good is humility versus bragging, right? The the those that brag um, are al always turn out to be evil, and those that are humble always turn out to be good in Spencer. And so, we, um, but that's one of the uh, things that we have. Uh, forgotten mm. is that we can go before the Lord and say, Lord, why are the wicked prospering? Um, and he, sometimes that's how he opens our eyes to why, because the, the wicked are prospering because the righteous aren't uh, being faithful, right? They're not having faith. They're not trusting the Lord and living out of it. Um, and so he, he is, he, uh, and I think the that the heart of where we see that right now is our disunity right because mm. we haven't the the church in America has not done a good job of disciplining uh the wicked when they uh infiltrate and so it makes unity um impossible and uh then the the people that should know better um we tend to live out of fear and so we focus in on our we we forget to, uh, to we forget that the heart of the Christian faith um, that is the stuff that's in the the creeds, right? That the stuff that so we spend all of our time um, 
talking about the edges and we forget the heart of the matter. You want to say more? I see you want to say more. Go ahead, man. I know we are. I'm sorry. I didn't get there. I had so much. (laughs) I I read out. Yeah. I'm on page 89 right now of Image of Spencer's Alive. I think it, it would be incredible if you just started having, you know, the, the, all the, all the churches that knew one another, you know, Baptist charismatic, uh, Presbyterian, uh, Anglican, Lutheran, whatever they are, they, that are, that they, that they, the pastors in a city, in an area that know one another and know, okay, here's the other pastors that I know that love the Lord. If you said, what if we all taught through the apostles creed together? And we just said, Hey, we're going to show some unity, talk through the Nicene Creed together, you know, something like that. Um, and said, we, we agree on all these things. Um, let's, let's show the world what some unity looks like. I, I think it would have the, I mean, Jesus says he, Jesus in his high priestly prayer says they will know that I and you are one, right? They will honor, they, the world will honor Christ as God when they see our unity. Mm. Right. And we don't, I don't think we believe that. I think we, we feel like they're going to know that Christ is God because we were really good at schism. We were really good schismatics that divided the church up into teeny tiny um, slivers. good man 